Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. But I, I feel like we're coming in, I know we are, we're coming into such a fresh season as a body. Uh, God has just been breathing on this place and every life here in the last few services. And I know that if you've been here, I, I know that you can attest to that. And in that process, I really believe like God has been uh, just reshaping our mission and vision as a church. And, and so I just want to start here because this is bigger than just a, a sermon series. I just want you to hear the heart of this. And we'll teach a lot on this over the next few weeks. But we've, we've spoken about this idea of, of making disciples that live on mission. And that is the universal mandate for the church. That's the one that Christ gave. But I really do believe that every local body finds its unique niche within that, that global mission of making disciples who follow Jesus. And over these last few weeks, there's just been something that God has been speaking into me, which is beholding him to become like him. And I believe for us that as we're moving forward, this really defines and shapes our very existence. It's the heartbeat of home church. We are a people who are called to behold him. And we're going to teach a lot about this over these next few weeks, this simplicity of gazing upon the beauty of that which lives inside of you, Christ himself. And as you do that, the scripture says, as you behold him, you're not striving, you're surrendering and simply sitting with him. And as you do that, the scripture says, you begin to be transformed into the very likeness of Jesus Christ. And when we become like Christ, there's this glorious truth that we will bring heaven to earth. And so we are beholding him to become like him with the vision of bringing heaven to earth. And we're going to explain all this and teach through it. And I know this is going to be such a, a rich time for us. But here's, here's what I want to do today. Um, the, the message is, the series is entitled Jesus People, and the message title is the same as well. It's entitled Jesus People. And before we get into how we begin to be transformed in Jesus, that beholding, which we will get into, maybe more than even a week maybe a few weeks. I first want to just address this becoming like him. I want us to see that this is the heart of what the Father wants to do in our lives. So I want you to look with me in your Bible. I'm just going to read one verse, Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. We're talking about God raising up a Jesus people. I promise you this will begin to form as we go through. If you don't have your Bible, it's on the screen, and this is what it says. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he, meaning Christ, might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Let me read it from one of the translation, the Passion Translation. Listen to this. It says, for he knew all about us before we were born, and he destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. This means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. The word of God teaches us that before the foundations of the earth, before me and you ever came into an existence, 
God had a plan and a purpose for us. God could see the beginning from the end. He saw creation and as it was meant to be, and he also saw man rebelling against God and turning from him. And in that, he also saw himself in the person of Jesus laying down his life in order to restore us and redeem us. And from the foundations of the earth, before me and you ever took a breath, God saw and had this purpose and this goal in mind that me and you would ultimately be conformed to the very image of his son, Jesus Christ. If I were to ask you, what is God after in our life? We may respond with worship. We may respond with obedience. We may respond with love. Maybe he wants our service. And I would say that there's truth in every single one of these answers. But the reality is, is there is a specific yearning in the heart of the Father for each and every one of us. And it is that he wants to reproduce the life of his Son in each and every one of us through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. Why? Because that was the life that me and you were always meant to live. Trust me, you want this as well. Everything that we were created for was destroyed in the garden, but Christ himself has made it available and possible for us to walk in it again. But the only way it happens is when our lives and his lives become so one that the only thing that you can see in me is Christ. Jesus wants to bring us to such a place of surrender and dependence on him that when you hear me, you hear Christ. Then when you watch me, you're actually seeing Christ. My personality is there. My gifts and my talents are there. But that that heartbeat, that character, that life flow of Jesus is flowing through me. Our only hope with a life that has been marred and stained by sin, our only hope is to have the precious print, the perfect print of the person of Jesus re-stain us to such a degree that literally we become one with Christ. Paul said in Colossians, he said what was proclaimed throughout the ages, what was hoped for, this great mystery has come to reality. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it's the heart of the Father that each and every one of us would begin to look like Jesus. This call today, it's, it's not religion will say, Do this and don't do that, and if you don't do the right thing, then you're going to go to hell. What I'm talking to you about today is the gospel saying, if you gaze and catch one glimpse of his beauty and what he's done for you, your life will never be the same. You will come into this glorious union with Christ in which him and you will become one, and he literally becomes your life source. And we're going to talk more about that in a moment. But listen to me. Here at home, we have one goal, one purpose, one mission It's him. Jesus is success. Living and looking and walking like Jesus, that is what success is. Every other path will lead you astray. Isaiah 53, 6 talks about how like we are all like sheep. Look at this. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Our sins, because of that, were put on Messiah. But listen to this. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And the next line, it says, each of us has turned to our own way. You understand the connection that it's making? A path that is one of astray 
is the path of our own way. This is why Jesus Christ came and says, I am the way. Because he knows that in the heart of man, we all have the tendency to grasp and hold to religious devotion and good works and morality and call Christianity with no life flow of Jesus himself. So he says, listen, this is how it's set up. I am the way. If you want life, you must come to me and live through me. Your best life is found in Christ. It doesn't matter those other ways. They can look successful. They can seem logical. In every way, they seem right to the natural mind. But Christ says there's one way. It's when your life and his life becomes one. When we begin to look and breathe and act just like Jesus did. And he has given us everything we need to be conformed into this. I believe as we look through the body, there's a lot of talk about discipleship and making disciples, which is a beautiful thing. But the question I would ask is, what are we making disciples of? I think we're more likely to conform people to the image of our leader. We conform people to the image of the denomination that we sit in. And so we are more likely to cling to our positions and our preferences, which is fine if you have them. But we cling to these more than we cling to the very person of Jesus. Listen, God is not interested, this is what he just was speaking to me, God is not interested in raising up Pentecostals, he's not interested in raising up Baptists, he's not interested in raising up Catholics, he's not interested in raising up Presbyterians, he's interested in raising up Jesus people, ones whose lives look exactly like the Christ who went before them and purchased something for them. This is our call, is to live in this place where our lives become his and his life becomes ours. And I believe there's such a deep satisfa- uh, dissatisfaction in so many lives because there are so many pathways and processes and programs of how to just walk with Jesus and we've lost the simplicity of a heart that is just purely devoted to him. Jesus is enough. That's why the Father says that we are being conformed to him. 1 John 2.6 says this, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to be in, the, in God, his life will begin to look like Christ as it is hidden in him. The message of Jesus is the message of the Bible. It's the message of heaven. But it's more than a sermon. It's, it's more than a name in a book in the Bible. It's more than the title of a sermon. Jesus is a life that is to be lived through each and every one of us. And I believe that the world is yearning for a true picture of Jesus, for Jesus' people to be living. Not ones that reject things that we see in his life because, well, that doesn't line up with my traditions and and the way I was brought up. That's That's not what my denomination believes. But I believe that God is looking for a people who would whose lives would emulate the very life of Jesus Christ. And it's for this reason that in this scripture, it says that we were predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. We were not predestined to be conformed to some method. Listen to me, we're not being conformed to some theology because Christ is perfect theology. If you see him do it, if you see him not doing it, that's right. Our lives are meant to correlate with him. We're not being 
conformed again to some, some tradition that we have. Our lives are being conformed to Christ. Why? Because Jesus is the highest standard of excellence, beauty, and purity. It is the highest calling and the highest privilege to have our lives be mixed with God, which is what we were always created for. And this does not devalue Christ in any means by saying we're becoming in his likeness. Not at all. Actually, what we're doing is we are exalting Christ by making him the centerpiece of everything that we do. The scriptures say that everything that was broken from the fall is being reconciled through Christ. Not just lies, but everything is finding one common point of redemption, and it's Jesus. And as it moves through there, he breathes life and restores it. Which means if our life is not flowing through there, but flowing through traditions and principles and methods, we can do all these things in the world, but still be lifeless. I want to just share with you for a moment on the life of Christ so that you get what I'm saying here. Of how Jesus wants to re reproduce himself in us. It's the heart of the Father that when it says that we're conformed to the image of his Son, that we would be so one and so surrendered that there would be no obstruction to the life of Jesus living through us. Literally, Jesus would be our life source in everything. And when you look at the life of Christ, it says this in this scripture. It says that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. This is extremely weighty and powerful what is being proclaimed here by the Apostle Paul. Listen, redemption is not just at the cross. It's the life and the resurrection as well. The life, death, and resurrection is the full plan of redemption. Why? Because most of us think, and this is what God has been stirring in me, that the whole purpose of the cross is forgiveness of sins. That's the end result. Now, that is glorious, and that is true, and that is necessary of a foundation. But if that's the case, then the resurrection of Jesus is merely an add-on. Forgiveness can be in the death, and we don't need the resurrection, and we don't need the life. But there's something bigger that God is after. It's not just stopping at forgiveness of sins. The cross is not just about what we have been brought out of. It's about what we have access into to live now. That is why Colossians 1.13 says that we were, he rescued us from the dominion of darkness. You stop and say, that's incredible. It is. And he brought us into the kingdom of his son whom he loves. It's not stopping there. The cross in his life, he's doing something. The reason why he lived a life is because he is modeling something that we are meant to live. And then when he dies and resurrects, he gives us the power to live out that very life that he is modeling. He is raising up a new people. He is not just giving theology and things to learn. There's a life that Jesus has made available now that the cross has brought us into access to. We are meant to live, I believe, naturally in the supernatural like Jesus did. We're, and that's not just like, you know, miracles in, in terms of we may think. That's loving supernaturally. That's serving supernaturally. Everything Jesus did is a supernatural life. And the life that he lived and the resurrection gives us access into that. Jesus, what did Jesus pray? He said, our Father in heaven, thy will be done, right? Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Man, the weight of that, what Jesus prayed, what would it look like for earth to touch or heaven to touch earth? It's Jesus' people, ones that grab hold of the fact that God has opened a door for us to live a certain way that we have access to now. Let me, let me paint it this way. 
After the fall, everything was broken and shattered. Adam began to reproduce in his own kind. And so we see from the beginning up until us, even, even, with, even our lives, that without Christ, we are born in the state of which we are bent towards rebellion against God. And this is, this is the place that we find ourselves. Lives are shattered and broken because of sin. But Jesus comes, Jesus comes, and it says that he willfully empties himself. Willfully empties. What does that mean? He lays aside his, his, his rights, his divine rights. He puts them aside. Why? So that he would have to become completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. Why? Because, again, he's beginning to model something for us. He's living a life that we were always meant to live. And so he puts, his, he puts his divine attributes aside. The Spirit enables him to live within human limitations. When Jesus faces sin and he conquers sin, it's not, well, he's just God, so he could have done that. He has, by the Spirit, has laid aside his divine rights and faces it like any human would, but he's completely dependent on the Spirit and he conquers sin. And so throughout his life, we see Jesus living a certain way. We see authority that he lives in. We see Jesus operating in a true understanding of his identity as a son of God, sonship. We see victory that he operates in. We see Jesus living a life that we were always intended to live. And the Spirit has empowered him to do that. And at each stage of his life, Jesus is found to be obedient to the Father and dependent on the Spirit. Why? Because at each stage in his life, he is breaking and reversing the curse of Adam. You see, he couldn't just go to the cross first because it's bigger than forgiveness. That's where it starts, but it builds. The reason he lives a life first is because he's destroying and reversing everything that sin has taken from us so that when he comes to the cross, he, he lives the life that we were meant to live. He dies the death that we were meant to die, and then he resurrects. He completely destroys Sin, death, and, and devil, the devil himself, he cracks open the tomb, folds his grave clothes, and steps out and says, I'm the first among many brothers and sisters to follow me. Amen. It is a new life, a new people that Jesus is calling us into. And he didn't just model it, but at Pentecost, he poured out his spirit so that we would be filled and empowered to do it as well. But before Pentecost could happen, there had to be preparation and so Jesus lives a life and then dies our death and then pours out his spirit. And everyone who is born of the spirit, he calls us to follow him in his likeness. He is the firstborn that goes ahead of us. And that is why it says that he is the first among many brothers and sisters. Colossians says he's the firstborn among the dead, meaning he's the first one to resurrect, not just a future resurrection, here and now, Jesus is the first one to experience this new order of humanity in which man is fully born of the Spirit, in full communion with God. Everything that we were intended to have, Christ has brought it back to us. Hebrews says he's a forerunner. He's the one who's gone into the sanctuary before us. He's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. There's so much language that speaks to Jesus not just offering forgiveness, but offering a life that was lost in the garden, and it's coming back to us if we would truly surrender and allow ourselves to become one with him. This is why we are called a new creation. We are no longer that old man anymore. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. This is what it means. You are literally a new being, born of the Spirit. And Jesus was the first one to enter in and show us what this looked like. And Christ became what we are in order that we could become what Christ is. It's an incredible truth of what he has made available for us. And if our lives and our discipleship and our goal leads us anywhere else than looking like him and living like him and walking in the same authority and power he has, we have completely and totally missed it. And this is what we were, we were made for. This is not simply theology that he gives us. It's a life to be lived and experienced. This is where we get tripped up. Listen to me. He didn't just do things for you. He wants to do things through you. Christ is not just a new creation for you. He is a new creation through you. This is what I mean and what we'll be talking about in the following weeks of beholding him in order to see this come to reality. He is not just righteousness for you. He's righteousness through you today. His life through yours. He's not just holiness for you. He's holiness through you. He's not just authority for you. He's authority through you. Christ is not just something that we learn. We don't say so many. I just, they say, I'm a new creation. It's a mind thing. He wants to be lived out through us. But only when we become one with him, we surrender, truly surrender to him. We die to self. We let go of self. That's the call. It's not a call of striving. It's a call of dying so that his life could shine through ours. And when that happens, the very things that he is becomes ours and we experience the true life that Jesus and God has always attended for us. But for, for so many... The idea of following Christ and discipleship is limited to a classroom with a whiteboard. Now that's important, and there's things to be taught, don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, it stays there. But Christ's call was the most simple call, which was follow me. It was about life exchange. This was about his life becoming ours. It was about Christ living in you and through you. Discipleship and following Jesus is not about indoctrination. It is about life transformation. He did not leave us life lessons to just be learned. He gave us a lifestyle to be lived. He's looking for Jesus people who understand what is available and will walk and live just like he did. And that is why the call in order to see this is, we have to come to an end of ourselves. It's not about me trying to be like Jesus. It's actually me realizing I could never, and therefore I lay down my life, Christ, in order that you could have full possession of mine and live through me. That is when you experience true life. And then as we will talk of continual beholding, we experience the freedom that comes with that. But you see what took place in Jesus, the death and the life, is meant to take place in us as well. And I don't know about you, but it grieves me because of how deceptive it is and how empty it is. This past week, Pastor Chris and I were in Barnes & Noble, and the place is littered with books in the Christian section that have pictures of faces of people, and they say seven steps to a better you, <laughs> ten steps to a better you. When you understand what sin has done and you understand that Jesus is the only one and how he is the way and he's the one who redeemed and restored everything, you understand that this is not about becoming a better you. It's about dying to you. It is about life exchange where his life becomes yours. 
This is why the Apostle Paul said, it is no longer I that live, but Christ in me. Paul recognized if it's me that tries, I just mess it up. He said, I find my life source in Jesus and Jesus alone. Following Christ, it's not about making ourselves. It is about dying to self. And Jesus gives us the glorious call in light of who he is and what he's done to lose ourselves in him, to be so one with him that he literally becomes our heartbeat. His life comes through. But often Christianity is pictured as adopting a new set of, a new moral code, a new religious system, a new belief system. We strive hard to do what is right. We work even harder to do what we're not supposed to do. We tag the name of Jesus on it, and we say we expect people to see Jesus in us. That couldn't be further from the truth. The reality is, you know what happens is we're still living in our own strength according to our own ways and our own power. And it's no reason that we feel as empty as ever, as lost as ever. Book of Colossians says something quite amazing. Paul addresses this very thing of building our life on other things than Jesus. I love the book of Colossians because it's so Christ-centered. And Paul addresses this fact that it doesn't matter what you do, if you are not rooted in the life of Christ, it's empty and it's dead, no matter how spiritual it may appear. And Paul addresses this church because there are those that were coming against this church disqualifying them because they weren't adhering to certain rituals and traditions of man. So Paul comes and says, listen, do not be taken captive by these empty and hollow philosophies that are rooted in man. Paul says there's teachings going around that these festivals, that you must adhere to them as well, and you must do this, and you must do that. He says, don't you understand that these were all a shadow pointing to Christ who would be the fulfillment he goes on to say there's all this talk about do not touch, do not taste, do not wear, do not do this. He says, don't you understand? It has the appearance of wisdom. It has the appearance of godliness. But he says in actuality, it has no power to restrain the sensual indulgence. In other words, it has no power to actually transform a life. And therefore, he says, since you have been raised with Christ, Set your heart and mind on things above to the one who can only change and transform a life. The, the call is, is this. What we see today, it's you can worship this way, but don't worship that way. Come in, you must look this certain way. If you're going to read the Bible, it better be this one. And we go through a whole list of things and say, we, it's got to be this, got to be this. And have your preferences, have your positions, just know one thing. It's Christ that keeps you. It's Christ that sustains you. It's Christ that is life for you. I can't tell you how many people I've come around that can quote more scripture than I ever could or ever will be able to. Now, this is not a knock to knowing the Bible. We should know the Bible through. I love the Bible. It's the heartbeat of God. It's perfect in every way from Genesis to Revelation. It's without error. There's no contradiction, and I read it every single day. But my point I'm trying to make is even these things, I've come around some that can quote it through and through, yet when I get close to them, there is a disturbing reality that I come into awareness of, and that is I do not sense Jesus at all in this person. I don't, I don't sense the life of Christ flowing through them. 
They have all this knowledge, but they've never come to let the life actually flow through them. Christ has been something they have learned, not a life that wants to be lived through them. Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, you search the scriptures diligently, thinking that in them you have eternal life, but they point to me, and you refuse to come to me. Listen, the scriptures point to the one. The scriptures didn't die for you. The scriptures didn't resurrect for you. They are holy and perfect, and they point to the one who did. But if you read them to get a book and not him, you will miss it. The whole point is to lead us into relationship with Jesus. I'm fully convinced that the enemy doesn't mind if you are religious. Keep your schedules going. Keep your songs going. Keep your reading going. Just don't encounter his presence. Do all these things. Work for him but don't draw from him. Do things. Just don't allow the person of Jesus Christ to be your life source. I believe in my heart. As we go over these next few weeks, we'll dive into more that God, it's the heart of God that our lives would become one with Christ. And as I said before, it's, it's, what, we, it's what we truly desire ourselves if we, would, if we would let him speak to us. And I realize that there may be some that are hesitant to this idea of surrender to God and laying down our life to God. And I think one of the main reasons why is because we have such a distorted view of who the Father is. And I think if you're anything like me, my perspective for such a long time was that the Father and the Son were at odds over us. So many think the scriptures when Jesus points about, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That somehow that the Father and the Son have different views of us. In other words, that Father God is standing up there, pounding his fists in anger, saying, I'm going to destroy these people. And just when he's ready to destroy us, it's the last minute Jesus steps in front and says, no, take me instead. And because of that, who would ever want to be reconciled to that type of father? You see, the law was a revelation of our sin. The cross is a revelation of his love for us. If you actually begin to look at the scriptures, you will find that it says, for God so loved the world. The Father's heart for the world. His wrath, listen, his wrath is a means of righteousness. It serves his goodness. He says, I want these people, but the only thing that destroys sin is my wrath. Therefore, I'm going to pour it out because I want them. This is why every scripture says that God reconciles us back to himself. God is not being reconciled to people because if that was the case, that may mean that he needs to be persuaded. Won't you come back to us? But the scriptures say that God the Father is reconciling us back to himself, meaning it was his plan. It was his purpose. It's as if the Trinity comes together, the picture I have, and they say, we want man so bad. We want it to be as it was meant to be. And the Father says, well, I know exactly what I need to do. I need to pour out my wrath to destroy not the sinner, but sin. And Jesus says, well, then I'll take it for them. I'll live the life that they were meant to live, and I'll die the death that they were meant to die. And the Holy Spirit says, and Jesus, I'll empower you to do it all. I'll be with you through it all, and when you die, I'll resurrect you. And then when it's said and done, send me back, and I'll do it in them as well, and I'll give them new life. And if you don't know this, God, 
This is the true picture of the Bible of a God who is longing for us to be caught up in this glorious union where his life becomes our life. Thank you for listening to Home Church's podcast. To go deeper into the message, text DEEPER to 66866. If you would like to give to this ministry, you can text the amount to 631-693-4176 or visit us at myhomechurch.org backslash give.